Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Streetwise Theology Out of the Ivory Tower and Back into the Hands of the Invisible Church Welcome to Streetwise Theology. My name is Luke Saint. Thank you so much for listening. This week we have a special guest with us uh, John Jay, who is on the phone with us today, he's the former president of the Reading Chapter of the Homosexuals Anonymous. Uh, he's a personal friend of mine who has uh, tutored me in uh, theology. We've had many theological discussions. We've also read a lot of books together. Uh, I used to meet with him once a week, and uh, we would talk about all things uh, A to Z in theology and you know a lot of interesting subjects. Many of the times, um, homosexuality would come up when we would speak about this. Um, and John would continually educate me uh, as to what a homosexual goes through, the mind of a homosexual, you know, stories that he brought up and told. It was very informative. And one reason that I wanted to do this podcast is because I realize a lot of Christians do not understand or, or think that they understand, but they, in, in reality, they do not understand homosexuality, where it comes from, and how to deal with it. John, if you could uh, say hi and introduce yourself. Uh, well, my name is John, and of course, I personally have struggled with same-sex attraction, uh, homosexual behavior as well. God has been very good and he's given me opportunities to understand and get free. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a thing that's open to everyone who wants to be free. Amen. Amen. Thank, praise the Lord. John, uh, could you give us uh, your testimony? Yeah, start off with your testimony about how you became a Christian, and then we'll go on to, um, you know, your experience with homosexuality. Okay, that will be fine. Well, I went to the University of Maryland. I didn't choose a roommate, nor did my roommate choose me, but he was a young man who had been led to Christ by Campus Crusade for Christ the year before. When he began witnessing to me, I immediately rejected it and did so vigorously. If he would try to talk to me when I was up, I would just walk out and slam the door. If it was when I was in bed, I'd turn my back on him and put a pillow over my head. We sinners are very open-minded. <laughs> but uh, he talked with me for a while, and then realizing he was getting nowhere, he stopped. But he asked a group of his friends at the University of Maryland, who were Christians, if they would meet every morning at 6 o'clock at the chapel of the University of Maryland so that he could uh, meet with them for prayer for me. Now, I did not know about this until after I became a Christian. But they met, they met faithfully, and the first semester ended, I went to my home, he went to his home. I got back to the dorm before he did. It was late at night, I hadn't even been thinking about Christ. I was writing some letters, when all of a sudden it hit me that the gospel he had been giving me, I knew it was true. I mean, God just took the blinders off my eyes. He, he gave me spiritual sight. I was blind before that. So knowing it was true, I knelt beside my bed and I prayed and I said, Lord Jesus, I don't understand all of this, but I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I please be my Lord and Savior. I didn't feel any great emotion. There were no chills running up and down my spine. It was late at night. I was tired. The next 
thing I did was I went to bed. But I woke up the next morning, and for the first time in my life, I really wanted to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And as I read it, it was like God was talking to me. Wow. It was wonderful. I didn't tell my roommate what had happened, but uh, in two days later, he told me because he saw the change. And I was a new, though not a perfect creature in Christ. Amen. That's wow. what the Lord did for me. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord, John. Um, can you, um, now I understand that you've also had experience in, in, in pastoring a church. Yes. Yes. Okay, so, I mean, uh, when, when I was talking with John, when John would teach me, it was from a very um, uh, knowledgeable place when we would read the books. I, John had an answer for almost every single one of my questions. And, uh, John, could you uh, talk about your experience with homosexuality? Yes. You've seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect. Yes. They're just forgiven. Mm -hmm. Christ had saved me, and I wasn't engaging in homosexual behavior at the time. Uh, I assumed that, that in those days they told you, you know, you just get married and everything will snap into place. Mm -hmm. And so after several years, I found a wonderful Christian young lady, and we were married, and I thought that would solve all the problems. It didn't, and it wasn't her fault, it was mine. But I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know what to deal with, I didn't know what to do to resolve the problem, and so I just gritted my teeth and hung on. But then I went through a time of great stress, and I got involved with somebody, and that led to ultimately to blackmail and exposure, the loss of my ministry, the loss of my family, the loss of my marriage, very nearly the loss of my life. Wow. God was merciful and didn't allow me to commit suicide. I tried, but I got sick. I went to a movie theater, so I would die. When my family wouldn't find me, I started vomiting, and I vomited up enough of what I took that I ended up in the hospital and set me in the morgue. And again, God was very merciful to me. Amen. Wow. Um, now, uh, the last podcast that I that I brought up um, that that I talked about in um, uh, what was the last podcast that I talked about was Elizabeth Moberly's book, um, uh, "Homosexuality: A New Christian Ethic." Can you talk about how the Lord led you out of homosexuality and um, how that book has had a positive effect on your life? Yes, there were several things that really helped. Uh, Dr. Moberly's book was certainly one of them. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Moberly originally planned to teach church history, but she was in a seminary environment preparing to teach seminarians, and she found a number of the young men who were preparing for the ministry were struggling with homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Some simply abandoned themselves to it, others were fighting, but she didn't know how to help them. They were her friends. She wanted to help them. And as she was praying over it, more and more she became convinced that God wanted her to leave her plan to be a church history teacher and find out how to help her friends. And so she went to Oxford and Cambridge and got a PhD as a research psychologist, somebody who specialized in working through all that had been done up until that time to set forth what were the causes. And she reviewed every in-depth analysis that had ever been written up on homosexuality and came up with 
the great truths of her book, Homosexuality, New Christian Ethics. Mm -hmm. Homosexuality, she pointed out, was not caused by faulty hormones or faulty genetics. It was caused by a hurt in the life of whoever is struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the life of a man, a, a, a hurt in his relationship with his father, or sometimes sexual abuse, mm -hmm. not by his father, but could have been by anybody. Mm -hmm. In the life of a woman, against sexual abuse, or the difficulty with her mother, perhaps not wanting to be like her mother because she saw her mother being abused. Mm -hmm. All of these things played into that. And as I learned what were the causes in my case, it helped. My father was a good father. But he was a medical doctor. He'd sacrificed mightily to become a medical doctor. And he believed that his firstborn son, that was me, was supposed to follow in his father's footsteps and do exactly the things that his father did. That meant I was supposed to become a doctor. None of my brothers, just me. The problem with that was I am not cut out to be a doctor. If I go visit a friend in the hospital and that friend is in pain, if he's very astute, he'll notice I'm holding on to the bed to be sure I don't pass out and faint. I would absolutely be unable to perform surgery on people. Mm -hmm. But my father couldn't understand that, and therefore I was always a disappointment to him. Mm -hmm. The last time I saw him before he died, he told me again how disappointed he was in me that I had not become a doctor. Wow. So I grew up feeling my father did not love me and did not approve of me. Mm -hmm. The result is that that creates a longing in one's heart for same-sex approval, love, affection, all of those things that I had missed in my relationship with, his, with my father. Hmm. Wow. Now, uh, you said that Elizabeth Moberly wanted to help a lot of these people, but she didn't know how. I think... I think most Christians are in the same boat when they come across homosexuals. They want to help them, but they just don't know how. They're not educated uh, on how to approach or how to how to combat or even where to direct them. I, I I've noticed many homosexuals or Christians struggling with homosexuality don't even know how to help themselves. They don't even know what's wrong. Um, yes, they, that was me. They, okay, and so can you talk about um, can you talk about uh, the counselor who helped you and who directed you to that counselor and how what led you what uh, pretty much led you out of a homosexuality into a proper understanding of same-sex relationships? Well, several things. I mean, first of all, of course, Dr. Moberly's book helped me understand what had gone wrong mm -hmm. and that, you know, what I had to work with in order to resolve it. In addition, I had a Christian counselor who had struggled himself with homosexuality and worked that struggle through, and he was very, very helpful. He was an excellent counselor, mm -hmm. and he did things that needed to be done to help me understand and work through things. I mean, for instance, one of the first things he asked me some several weeks into counseling was, tell me, what was your relationship with your father like? And my answer was, oh, it was all right. It's just we weren't close. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Well, there's a clue that something was wrong. And so he asked me to go home and journal in the next week every negative interaction with my father I could remember. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote things down, and my father was an old-fashioned, very strict disciplinarian. He believed in the belt. And a lot of people would say, oh, that was abusive, but I never felt it was abusive. 
abusive. That was never a problem. Right. And so I wrote down several times when he disciplined us. And, uh, you know, once he was getting ready to spank me, uh, my brothers and I had been squabbling. And uh, he was spanking one of the brothers. And I said, Dad, I've got to go to the bathroom. Now I'm about six years old. And I, he said, you wait here until I... So I waited. And he started to use the belt on me. And I wet myself. So he got really angry. Well, yeah, I understood. But that wasn't such a big problem. I didn't feel terrible about that. Mm-hmm. So I continued writing things like that down. And then all of a sudden I came to the constant, got to be a doctor. You've got to be a doctor. You're supposed to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I burst into tears. And I cried for two hours solid, just sobbed, wow. like a baby. Wow. I hit pay dirt. Wow. And that was the problem that had led to my same-sex struggles. Wow. That is, I think, unbelievable. I think that, you, you, I mean, I, your testimony here, John, I think is so important to many Christians listening to this. Uh, because we're just so clueless about homosexuality. I think many Christians believe that homosexuality is, like I said before, is like a super perversion. Like if you just watch enough pornography, you're going to become a homosexual. Or if you really want to rebel against God, you know, you just really want to be super perverted, you know, you become a homosexual. It's like a, it's like a choice. A lot of people think it's a choice. But, uh, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that a homosexuality is, is more like a result. And now, uh, you've counseled many people in regards to homosexuality. Have you ever come across an exception to this um, instance when it comes to you know sexual abuse or unstable same-sex parental relationships? Not really, although it shows up in different ways. Okay. Uh, I, I can give you a for instance. Uh, I heard once a, a Roman Catholic psychologist who specialized in working with people who struggled, particularly priests who struggled with homosexuality. And uh, she had a young man who was in seminary and he got involved in activity and they put him out of the seminary and uh, sent her him to her for, for counseling. And she began working with him and she wanted his parents to be involved in the therapy. The father was glad to be involved in the therapy, but the mother would not come. And as he worked, she worked with the young man and with his father. The pattern emerged. The father was very, very busy in business. Too busy and didn't spend enough time with his son. But mother constantly complained. Your dad doesn't care anything about you. He doesn't care anything about me. All he cares about is that business. That's all he matters to him. And so he grew up feeling that his father didn't love him or care for him. His father did love him. Mm-hmm. That's why he was in therapy with him. Mm -hmm. But his father made mistakes. Of course, none of us ever make mistakes. (laughs) Yes, of course. But his father made mistakes and they had serious repercussions. But as she worked with him and his father worked with him, uh, he got straightened out. He went back into seminary. Uh, He had a priest who worked with him very faithfully. That was wonderful. And as a result, he was back in the ministry. Everything was going well. Uh, but then he called this uh, lady psychiatrist. 
psychologist and ask if he could have a couple more sessions. She said, sure. The reason was his father died and his priest mentor died within about six weeks of each other. Oh, wow. And he was afraid that this might lead to new problems. It didn't. She mm. worked him through the grief and he was fine. Mm. He said, my only problem now is I can't have sex with women. And that's what I have to struggle with now. Oh. Uh. Because he's, he's a priest. <laughs> okay, um, so, I mean, when we're talking about the, the, the struggles of, of homosexuality, um, it, it sounds like you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to overcome same-sex attraction. No, you don't have to be a Christian to overcome alcoholism or drug addiction. Okay. Where does Christ come in? Yeah, I... But yeah, my, my, my question my question was going to be where did, how does sin in Christ come into the struggles of homosexuality and like how it plays out in somebody's life? Well, for me, one of the very helpful things because I was a Christian, a messed up Christian, but I was a Christian, mm-hmm. and I knew that the Bible taught that homosexual behavior was not what God wanted; it was something He was opposed to. Both the Old and the New Testaments taught that quite clearly. Mm -hmm. Just read Romans chapter 1 if you have questions about that. Mm -hmm. But knowing that didn't help when I fell into it because I didn't know what to do. But when I got help, the fact that I knew it was wrong made me determined by God's grace to seek to overcome it. Mm. Wow. If you want to please God, that will keep you from doing things which are sinful. Amen. Uh, John, now a question I have for you uh, about all of this is uh, w- what do we do? Um, first off, I think it's a twofold question. What, what, what do we as Christians, what, should, what do you recommend for us to, like when we encounter homosexuals or, or Christians struggling with homosexuality or even homosexuals who, uh, like when we catch them on the individual, usually, I mean, in my experiences, when you come across a homosexual, um, usually they're pretty militant about their homosexuality. They they think they're doing the right thing. Um, and what what do we what do you recommend for Christians? Like, how do you recommend that we approach our homosexual friends, given this information uh, that this is more like a result of problems in their life, serious problems in their life, rather than just like a choice or a super perversion? Well, first of all, before you can approach anyone, you have to know them and be a friend to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the question that you're asking really is the same question you might ask about how do you approach an alcoholic? How do you approach somebody who's abusing drugs? How do you approach somebody who's having trouble in their marriage? Mm-hmm. First, you become their friend. Mm-hmm. Then you begin to teach them the truth as they can receive it. You have to care about them, and if they know that you care about them, they will often listen. And they'll be interested if you show them what the Bible says. If they're Christians, that will really help them. Mm-hmm. If they're not, show them how to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is the first thing you do with somebody who's in a troubled marriage? You say, get your marriage straightened out, or do you give them the gospel? Mm-hmm. And try to show them the Lord Jesus, who will give them the strength to do the things that are necessary Amen. to do. Amen. I, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, what do you, you... You talk a lot about... Um, you know what a homosexual feels. Can you can you just des- describe like you know when we come across homosexuality, especially in American culture, 
homosexuality um, is 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 masked, um, and you know they use the term gay, you know, to uh, kind of you know illustrate what homosexuals are. They're happy, um, you know. I think you talked about once when we were having a conversation how homosexuality homosexuals like struggle with guilt. Why, why do you think that is? Well, of course, first they're doing things that God forbids them to do. Mm-hmm. As the culture changes, some of that guilt will probably recede. Uh-huh. Uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. If I'm doing something which makes me guilty, if I feel what's reality, I'm probably in better shape than if I am in uh, non-reality and not dealing with a very real problem that keeps me from having a family often, keeps me from having a, a normal marriage and a normal life. So I'm, I'm all in favor of people who want help mm-hmm. getting it. Okay. And one of the sad things nowadays is that the, the militant gays are doing everything in their power to keep people from getting any kind of help, even though they want it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I, I think personally, I, I think a, a definitely an unheard voice in our society is the voice of former homosexuals. I, you never see them. The only time that you ever see them is, is like Christians are the only one who actually care about what former homosexuals have to say about homosexuality. Um, uh, and uh, I think, you know, hearing the testimony, I've heard testimony of many former homosexuals, I think is so valuable in helping other homosexuals uh, in dealing with their problems. Uh, now, John, uh, I have a question about what, what, what role do you think society plays in regarding homosexuality? I mean, does, does it really matter what society you're in that will produce homosexuals, or does it more come down to, like, your personal family structure? Does society not um, matter? I mean, how does society affect homosexuality? Well, the same way it used to affect alcoholism. Uh, I'm an old movie buff. Uh, if you ever watch the old Thin Man series with Myrna Loy and William Powell, you'll find that the, they're very sophisticated, everybody's supposed to be like them, and particularly the, the man until the woman, and the woman too, until she has a child, are, are both 90 point to the wind, mm-hmm. mostly drunk most of the time. Not so drunk that they're falling down, but so drunk that obviously their speech is slurred and things are not operating properly. Well, they did that a lot in the movies. A, a drunk, drunk was a joke and that's not true anymore because of course alcoholism has taken tremendous tolls on the lives of people who have been victims of it and their families and so no longer is it a, a joke to be a drunk and no longer is it sophisticated to not be able to keep yourself in line hmm. so society did that with alcoholism and they're doing that right now with homosexual behavior, which is a tragedy, but that's society. It's called the world in the Bible, and the world is a mess, and we're not supposed to be conformed to it. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, regarding the, uh, I remember one time you told me about the, the extra psychological step that a man needs to make in like, you know, uh, regarding his, you know, male identity. Um, can you talk about that when, when you talked about uh, a, a woman and her mom and a, and a boy and his father? Yeah, when, when children are born, I'm told by psychologists, I don't know and I don't remember, but when children are born, they don't even distinguish between themselves and their mother. They 
Mm-hmm. Then, uh, girls are fine because they identify with mother, and that's as it ought to be, but boys have to make an additional step. They begin by identifying with mother, but then they have to disidentify with her and be like father or some male father figure. If they don't make that step, then of course they're in trouble. Hmm. Now, it's again not a guarantee that you're going to become a homosexual, but it's just an extra hurdle that you have to overcome. It's an extra hurdle. There's no guarantee that anything will make one person react homosexually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the things that Dr. Moberly found are generally true, but the truth is there's some people that are just so psychologically rocky that uh, they're easily impacted negatively. Mm -hmm. Other people are just as tough as nails. Yes. It's sort of like a kid, you know, one one youngster, you look at him like you're going to spank him, he bursts into tears. Mm -hmm. The other youngster, you could be spanking him, and you just laugh. Mm-hmm. Why? We're all different. Yes. And all of us are different in terms of vulnerability. Yeah. Okay. Now, addressing that vulnerability, can you talk about um, that uh, uh, one individual you addressed who really got messed up because he came in on his parents having intercourse, I believe it was? Yes. Well, it was a shock to him. And seeing that and not understanding what was going on, not understanding it was normal or anything. He thought his father was hurting his mother. Now, they didn't hear him come in the room and they didn't hear him leave, so they never knew what happened. Mm -hmm. But he said, if that's what my father is doing to my mother, I don't want to be like him. Hmm. He disidentified with his father, identified overly with his mother, and the result was same-sex struggle. Wow. Wow. It took a skilled counselor to dig that out, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I bet. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, talking to fathers and mothers who are listening to this podcast, the the emphasis on parenting here is extraordinarily more important, I think, than we thought it was. Well, the Bible says parents are very, very important. One of the Ten Commandments is that children need to honor their fathers and their mothers. One of the names that we use to call God is the name Father. Mm-hmm. The reason God took that name and the reason that God put fathers in as members of the family is that he intended fathers to show children what God is like. Mm-hmm. That he is, yes, just and righteous, but also loving and tender and kind, caring. If fathers do that, children thrive. If fathers don't do that, if they're absent all the time, or if they are too interested in the television and not interested enough in their families, or if they're working all the time, or if for whatever reason they don't provide for a child's love for same-sex parent-child love, security, dependency, the child will likely be damaged. Hmm. Now, sometimes somebody other than father will do that. I know one woman... Her husband left her for a homosexual lifestyle. She had two boys. But neither of her sons developed a homosexual struggle. Why not? Because her father took over and bothered them. Mm -hmm. And loved them and spent time with them and went fishing with them and praised them and encouraged them. And they 
healthy image of what it meant to be a man. Wow. That's 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 incredible. Now, John, this this podcast that I, the series I've been doing has been aimed mostly at uh, first off uh, half at Christians on in understanding what homosexuals are dealing with, what they're going through, what what's happening in their heads, um, and and how to approach them in a biblical uh, loving way, frankly. And and secondly, it's for uh, Christians who are struggling with homosexuality. And they don't know what to do about it. What What would your message be to uh, if you could say something to the uh, homosexuals who are listening to this podcast, who are struggling with homosexuality? What would your advice or your counsel be to them? Well, first of all, stay close to the Lord Jesus, and as much as possible, avoid homosexual behavior. Mm-hmm. But that's just avoidance. You've got to work through the issues. Mm-hmm. You can get Dr. Moberly's book and read it. See if you can find a good Christian counselor who believes what the Bible says about homosexual behavior and see if they will be willing to help you work through that struggle. Mm-hmm. You can contact Homosexuals Anonymous. Uh, it's online ministry now, and if you just simply type that in on your search engine or Google, they'll put you in touch with them. One of the things I would say to a Christian who's struggling with homosexuality is you're not going to find love that way. I mean, Promiscuity among homosexuals is rampant. Recently, Anderson Cooper uh, had a boyfriend, and then he broke up with him, and he's gone on to somebody else. And this is norm for the homosexual. Mm-hmm. Again and again, problems have all shown up. Alan Bell, for instance, of the Kinsey Institute, which is not a Christian organization at all, mm-hmm. found that a modal view of the white male homosexual based on the Kinsey Institute's findings would be that of a person reporting 1,000 or more sexual partners throughout his lifetime. Unbelievable. Most of whom were strangers prior to their sexual meeting and with whom sexual activity occurred only once. Only a few of these partners were persons for whom there was much care or affection or were even seen socially again. If that's what you're looking for, it's a very lonely and a very problematic life. But if you work through things, for instance, the man who was my counselor worked through his homosexual struggle. He got married. He had a wonderful marriage. His wife died of cancer, unfortunately. He has gone back into the homosexual lifestyle. He found something that gave his life purpose and meaning and joy. It's just normal marriage. I think of another young man that I worked with for a couple of years. Bless his heart. He and I get in touch regularly. About every Christmas we get in touch with each other. He was able to get married. He has a son. He is so glad he's not trapped in homosexuality, Mm. but that he's found freedom and family, all of which means so much to him. Mm. These are the kinds of things that if you're struggling with this, you're a Christian, you want to think about. Now, I remember my question now. Um, when I had some online discussions, I was I was talking with some people who did not think that they could ever overcome same-sex attraction. Um, are, are you saying that you that it is possible 
uh, not a guarantee, or maybe it is a guarantee. I mean, I mean, can you talk about the issue of these Christians who are fighting against homosexuality? A lot of them feel despair because they're like, I'm never going to get rid of this. Will, will they get rid of it? Can they get rid of it? John, thank you so much for being on this podcast and doing this interview with me. I, I think it's really going to help a lot of people. Honestly, I do. That's my prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. Be strong and courageous, my friends. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Streetwise Theology, brought to you by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society and Reconstructionist Radio. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com and thinkandreform.org. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.